Hello and welcome to Phillies Backstage. Tom Burgoyne here along with my partner, John Brazier. John Brazier. John, I've really been looking forward to this podcast. Well, you know, Tom, I started in 1994. Go ahead. And so I missed that glorious 1993 season. Uh, but a lot of the people from the 94 team uh, were on that team. Sure. So I got to know some of those guys. And actually, I've got to know our guest today uh, more after uh, his career with the Phillies. So, yeah. Well, um, let's just bring him on. He's on the line. Mitch Williams. How you doing, Mitch? I'm doing great. Brad, you didn't get to meet me because Philadelphia was yet another city I was invited to leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that. That's, that's fast forwarding a little bit, but uh, uh, thanks for joining us, Mitch. We're uh, pumped to have you on. We've had some of your 93 uh, teammates on our podcast over the last uh, two seasons, um, but uh, it, we never get tired of talking about the 93 season. I don't know about you, but... Um, I, you know what? No, that's yeah. wonderful. Awesome. And, and, and Mitch, before uh, Tom goes into that, I noticed that your number, not that I'm going to give out in the air, but I'll give the last two digits of the number. It's 99. Is that on purpose? Cell number. Honestly, God, honestly, God, I never asked for it. That is the number I was issued when I got my phone. That is, that's crazy. It is crazy. I just noticed that as I'm calling mm -hmm. you. So, well, right, Tom. Yeah, it's a little, worked out good. Nice. Well, Mitch, I brought in, and I haven't dug this up in a while, uh, the book that I did with Bob Gordon called More Than Beards, Bellies, and Biceps, Story of the 93 Phillies. Uh, this isn't just a, a plug because this book's been out. Of, well, I don't even know if it's still out of print. But uh, anyway, you're on the cover. And I, I uh, John, Mitch, graciously, uh, although the royalties, you know, did you ever get that royalty check in the mail, Mitch? I don't know if you ever did, but... Uh, <laughs> For the use yeah, of I think it was like a roll of dimes. <laughs> and that's Mitch, more than I got. And Mitch, do you fall into the beards, <laughs> bellies, or biceps? Which one do you fall into, or, or, or all of them? Right now, I fall into two of those categories, and neither one of them has to do with biceps. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but it, it's a great picture. And uh, Rusty um, Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy took this picture. Miles is uh, our photographer now. Rusty was at the time. And he knew we were writing this book. And uh, he was gracious enough and Mitch to let us use it. And Mitch, the thing I look at, I, you're literally like 10 feet off the ground. It's after we had clinched against the Braves and LCS. Uh, you know, you had some hops. Well, you know, the picture what I used to tell the guys, especially batting, I said, you know, they say white man can't jump, but when a white man can jump and you can see an entire black man underneath his legs, <laughs> that means that white man can jump. And there it is. And there's Patty right there at third base. He's, he, he looked, That's right. <laughs> I mean, if I tried that move right there, I'd be in serious. I'd be in the hospital right now. <laughs> well, if I tried that today, I'd be hospitalized. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, and that's why I'd, I'd like to go back. We like going back in the time machine a little bit on this podcast, Mitch. Uh, John and I are kind of, we're, we're guys who never quite made it out of Little League, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old baseball. But I got to think back in the day, you were, you know, a good athlete. I know you played football a little bit, but I look at this picture. Did you play basketball when you were a kid or? Uh, no, I didn't. I actually wrestled. Oh, how about that? Okay. That was my winter sport and. It was done on purpose because I, I believe to this day that I, every youth athlete ought to have to wrestle at least one year of his childhood because it teaches accountability. When you walk out on the mat and you get your own head stuck in your own behind, it's pretty tough to blame your coaches or your teammates. 
Yeah, and I tell you, and the sacrifice. I remember the wrestlers in high school; they'd wear those rubber sheets. You know what I mean to mm. lose weight because they'd have to get. Oh, the rubber braid! I never had to cut weight. What did What did you wrestle? Were you a how How much did you weigh in high school? Well, um, I I was a stallion my freshman year. Now I was five four and wrestled at one hundred and five pounds. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, all muscle. That wow. <laughs> <laughs> were you good at it, Mitch? When I was five four, 105, my sophomore, that was my freshman year. My sophomore year, between my freshman and sophomore year, I grew 10 inches. Huh. Wow. So come wrestling season, my sophomore year, I was 6'2 and weighed 136 pounds. Mm, wow, you so really. So I basically looked like a number two pencil in a singlet. <laughs> and you always play baseball, Mitch? I mean, uh, you know, yeah. at an early age. Always. Okay. time I could pick up a ball. Yep. And always a hard thrower, I would imagine. That's, and I ask you this because we've had other guests on, and John and I, like I said, we're frustrated, uh, little leaguers, but we always had, you know, faced that guy who, you know, from you know, the next town over who could throw and, you know, nobody could hit him. Were, were you that guy? Yeah, I, I don't. It's hard to stay humble when <laughs> my senior year I was 17 and 0. And we won the state championship. So, yeah, I was pretty successful in awesome. high school. I was 42 and 5 in high school. Wow. And at that point, were you, at what point did you realize, I mean, you got drafted eventually by the uh, Texas Rangers, but at what point did you? No, the Padres. Padres. Oh, the Padres. Yeah, the Padres. That's right, the Padres, yeah, right. And then, then you went to the uh, Texas Rangers. At what point did you know you were going to yeah. be um, going pro? Uh, the minute they drafted me. Me, but, my brother signed the year before I did. Okay. My brother was actually a fourth-round pick, and to this day is still, honestly, the hardest thrower I ever saw. But he made me look like Tommy John in the control department. <laughs> <laughs> and who did he get drafted by? Uh, Milwaukee Brewers. And did he spend time, a lot of time in the minor leagues, or did, how, how long was his career? <laughs> yeah, he played six years in the minor leagues. He never made it to the big leagues. Okay. So it was uh, it was a shame because he this is a kid that was at ninety eight miles an hour on a ray gun when he was eighteen years old. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. Well, and you, uh, well, Padres for a little bit, then you went to the Rangers, and uh, that's where you know I guess you know we, wild thing that nickname uh, hit. And it, did did they always did your pitching coaches always work with you as, as far as your control goes? Well, yeah, Tom House was my pitching coach when I signed. Uh, he was a roving pitching instructor uh, for the San Diego Padre organization. And then he took the job as the big league pitching coach for the Rangers. Well, when he took the job, uh, another guy from the Padres, a, a guy named Sandy Johnson, who was the assistant GM in San Diego, he left the Padres and went to the Rangers as well. Well, they took me in the Rule 5 draft that, that winter because San Diego didn't protect me. They, they only put me on the AAA roster. Hmm. So how did you get the name Wild Thing? Who Did somebody give that to you, or was it like the organist just started playing yeah, it? Or? I have to argue. all that I've been called and chewed out by Charlie Sheen saying that he was the first Wild Thing. I had never claimed that I, the movie was about me. The fact of the matter is, the movie came out in 89. Me and Calvin Chiraldi, who was a teammate at the time, 
went and saw the movie, and the dumbass started calling me Wild Thing, and then it took off from there. But it was all yeah. after the movie came. No, I didn't it know was that. After. Okay, wow. Huh. Huh. And and a lot and a lot of it was because you're. It's more, but it wasn't just just the control. It was more just that you in your delivery you fell off the mound, right? Well, it's my falling off got really bad after 1990. I tore the posterior cruciate ligament in my knee in half, and they gave me a choice. At the time, I could either have surgery and miss close to, to over a year or I could just get in the weight room and build up my quad and it would take the place of that ligament. So that's what I did. And I pitched 30 days after I tore it originally. Hmm. So it, towards the end of my career, my fall off got worse because I'd get to a certain point in my delivery and my right leg would collapse. Hmm. Well, it worked for you, Mitch. I mean, you had some great freaking years with that delivery. Well, in, in 1989, well, 19, just, that was your best year, right? 1989, you made the All-Star team. You had 2.76 ERA. Uh, Cubs won the National League East that no, year. No, my first year with Philly. My first year oh. with Philly was actually my best year. Okay. Hmm. I think I had a 2-3 ERA, but that was the year for Gosey. Every time we had a tie game in the month of August that year, he ran me out there, and I ended up going 8-1 and one with five saves in the month of August that year. So that ended up statistically being my best year. All right, so I don't know if you've done the math. I told you I wouldn't do any math, but how many cigarettes do you think you caused uh, Johnny Padres and, and uh, Jim Fergosi to smoke uh, during your time with the Phillies? Well, by the third year I was with both of them, they were just taping cigarettes together so they didn't have to keep going back to the back. Uh, well, you know, that, you know, that season, you know, I guess if we're fast-forwarding to 293, I mean, spring training, uh, I know everybody seemed to think um, – that's when, you know, it, it gelled. All those personalities, um, you had a lot of veterans, uh, you know, maybe the writing was on the wall that this, it was either going to be that year or they were going to, you know, break up the team. Uh, did you feel it in spring training, Mitch? Yeah, I really did. And I didn't feel, honestly, I, I've been asked this question over and over again. Who had more talent, the 2008 Phillies or the 93 Phillies? And honestly, it's not even close. The 2008 team was so much more talented than we were. We were just too dumb to know when we were beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, thank goodness. But they talk. <laughs> they talk about chemistry, and you guys. And I know that's been wide, widely reported. But you guys hung out as a team. You talked baseball as a team. You, you know, what I mean, you guys saw each other more than you saw your family which in this day and age, you don't even see that anymore. So it's more, it's a little more corporate business. And, but you guys were just that down and dirty, hang out in the trainer's room, you know, basically bond together more than any team I've ever you know, read about or seen. Well, Braze, I can tell you this. I knew when I left Philly in that trade in uh, winter of 93, I knew I would never be put in a situation like that again where all 25 guys were on the same end of the rope heading in the same direction. And you stop and think about it. You, that's a team. I think we won 97 games. And we had three platoons. There yep. ain't any way in the world in today's game you could get three guys 
to buy into a platoon system and you look at the production that you got out of those, those three platoons, Justin left field alone. Pete Incavillia and Milt Thompson. And Inky obviously is not going to play as much as Milt because there's more right-handers than there are left-handed pitchers. And Incavillia hit, uh, I think, 22 or 23 home runs and drove in 88. Between the two of them, they drove in 130. And that's what those platoons looked like. You had Mariano and Mickey, Ivy and West. You couldn't get three, six guys on a team today to buy into that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and do you attribute, well, you contribute that to a lot, but I guess uh, Jim Fregosi uh, and his leadership style, Mitch? What I loved about Jimmy is he was him and Zim, but more so with uh, Jimmy. When I, when he first came here to Philly, I had gotten traded just 14 days earlier. And when I came in, I flew in to LaGuardia, went straight to Shea, and had to put on a uniform, didn't have my name on it, nothing. And Nick Leva called me in the office and said I was going to be share the closer role with Roger McDowell. I said, that's fine. Well, 13 games into that season – in, in 1991, they fired Nick Lave and hired for Ghost. And I was so tickled it wasn't even funny because I think one year in the American League, I had eight saves, and I believe five of them were against the White Sox, and Fergosi was the manager of the White Sox. Hmm. So he called me in the first day he was there and said, you are my closer. And what made it great with for me was Jimmy would hand me the ball and then just walk up the tunnel and smoke and say, someone tell me when it's over. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what I loved about that team too, you guys are just grinders, you know what I mean? On the pitching side and the, and the hitting side that you just knew that you guys were going to work the pitcher, you know, that bats Lenny, you know, you had Dutch, you had, I mean, just go up and down. Everybody was a grinder out there and it just, it was always a guy on base. You knew you're never out of it. Uh, and again, I have no idea whether that comes from camaraderie or just that's the way you guys were built up that year. Uh, it, honestly, it came from an absolute belief in the guy behind you. Mm. And when you have three guys in a lineup like that that have over 100 walks, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, That's trusting the guys behind you. Now, and everything that went on that year, it, it was just something special. And I knew it. I knew we had something pretty pretty good coming out of spring training. But when we went to Houston and Mickey Morandini hit a three-run home run off Doug Jones in the ninth to win it, I knew that was going to be our year because we couldn't hit Doug Jones with a boat or hmm. the year before. Yeah, and Dre, so I knew that's when it was when it was going to be special. Yeah, and Dre Beck was with Houston at that point. He was the big free agent signing that we didn't get. You know, everybody, oh, we should have gotten Doug Dre Beck, and uh, we beat him. And you know, coming back to Philly after winning those three games in Houston. Uh, and then it was just, what a season. It was just such a whirlwind. The games, you know, we talked about the trifecta of the, uh, the play out in L.A. Uh, that Mickey made and then the catch that um, uh, Milt made in uh, San Diego and then coming home for the Grand Slam against Lee Arthur. Have you ever heard the vets so loud after that Grand Slam, Mitch? No. And, and honestly, when Mariano came to the plate, there's certain guys, I don't care who you are as a pitcher, 
that you do not want to see with the bases loaded. And for Lee Smith, because I know Big Lee real well, we play together, Mariano Duncan is not the guy he wanted to come to the plate with the bases loaded. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one of the most intimidating guys on that team, at least uh, for me, and I'm sure a lot of teammates uh, back then. And, and the funny thing is now he's like the nicest guy in the I world know. is Dave Hollins. I right? know exactly where you're going with this. All right. <laughs> Dave so, Hollins, right? Dave Hollins. Like I'm telling you, when I, uh, my first year was 94 and I was, you know, I was already intimidated just being, you know, young coming into the clubhouse with that team. But Dave Hollins, for some reason, just again, I know he intimidated the players themselves, but I know I was Petra. I wouldn't go up to Dave unless I absolutely had to. And then, you know, I'd really have to think about whether I really need to, but I know there, uh, I was yeah. Mitch, I was golfing with, uh, Milt and uh, and L.A. or not L.A. Uh, Milt and Tommy Green and I forget which one of them told me the story that uh, you I guess were uh, on in the dugout uh, and you were hanging out with um, Larry Boa talking on the dugout. This is this is batting practice, uh, actually before batting oh, practice. Yeah. And Dave Hollins uh, I guess had a rough uh, game in the infield the day before, and so he was taking extra infield practice, and he was real you know intense about this. And he was just I guess whoever was a hit, I guess it was. Uh, who was the hitting coach back then? It was no Vuk was hitting. Oh, Vuk! It was Vuk. Right, Vuk was hitting ground balls to Dave Hollins, and I guess you were again in a side conversation in the dugout, just you and Boa, and you're someone was telling a funny story, and you're both laughing. Well, Dave Hollins, I guess was was he thinking that you were laughing at him? Why don't you tell the story, or maybe I just did. That's <laughs> you. You have hit it on the head so far because Bo and I are sitting there, and I don't remember who said something funny, whether it was me or whether it was Bo, but we started laughing and i swear to god the next five seconds a baseball hit the concrete between me and boa's head <laughs> and we looked out and, what the hell are you doing <laughs> oh, they're laughing at me we ain't laughing at you we're laughing with each other we didn't even know you were out here uh. i have another great one this is a tremendous story on davy and for those of you listening, I love this man to death. We're in Cincinnati one night, and me and L.A. and David West are in a group in the clubhouse right before the game. Well, I tell, said something to Larry and Westy. We're all laughing our ass off in the clubhouse. Well, Hollins comes over and grabs me and throws me in a locker and says, think about the game. So I stand, I, I crawl, get back to my feet out of this locker, and I walk over to David and L.A., and I said, look, you guys might have to come save me because I'm either going to get my ass kicked or I'm going to straighten Dave out right here. <laughs> so I walk over to the Headley, and I said, hey, I said, my game starts in two and a half hours. If I start thinking about my job now, I'll be burnt out by the time it gets here. How about you go do your job and I'll do mine? And I'm standing there waiting to get just punched in the mouth. <laughs> yeah, and, I was going to say, it's pretty bold of you, Mitch. And, and, yeah, David looks at me and goes, okay, you're right, sorry. <laughs> oh, <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was Mikey. Mikey came out for a little bit and then it was, he was Dave again, real quick. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, I turned around and looked at Wesley and David. Uh, uh, L.A., I had to be stone white because I promise you, you couldn't have driven a needle up my butt with a 10-pound sledgehammer. <laughs> hey, you mentioned your routine that, you know, you said to Dave Hollins that, uh, you know, you don't have to get ready. What was your routine? So, let's it start. The game starts uh, in 93. Where are you? We're in the beginning of the game. I would always, I would be in the video room. 
Okay, with video. I spent six innings watching hitters. Okay. All I, everybody in the ballpark, including the peanut vendors, knew I was going to throw fastballs. But a hitter cannot command all four quadrants going after your fastball. So all I wanted to know was where are their nitro zones so I can stay out of them. So I knew that about every hitter I faced. <laughs> and then you start walking out to the bullpen in the seventh inning? Uh, right after the top of the sixth. And did you have any any rituals, any superstitions while you're, you know, in between that time or while you're sitting in the bullpen? Uh, no, no, the only superstition I really had was uh, my shoes. And I don't know if it's so much superstition or the fact that I wear a size 12 shoe and I pitched in a size 9.5 for 16 years hmm. because I hated my foot moving around. So I'd go to the bullpen and sit there with my shoes off until the phone rang. Did you have any foot, foot issues after that? <laughs> I do now, John. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, Somewhere uh, there's an orangutan walking around with human feet. <laughs> uh, Mitch, I know everybody loves, and I love talking about the game that went till 4.41 in the morning. Uh, you know, I always laugh that you and L.A. both hit 1,000 that year for that club. You guys led the team. Damn right. If we'd have got another at bat, we'd have hit 2,000. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know... Take us back to 441. I know I got home at, you know, 730 in the morning. I know, uh, you know, you getting that hit. Enki, I guess, scored it. And uh, that celebration in the clubhouse was, uh, I think for Gosi, I think they, you guys went in, celebrated, and he was going to fine everybody. At this point, it's like 6 o'clock in the morning. He was going to fine everybody for drinking on a game day. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> While he had a scotch in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> But that must the have been part of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That day, my father, you know, my stepmother and my sister flew from Oregon to Philly. Well, we have the five hours of rain delay. So Irene takes my stepmother and sister back to the house. And my father stays at the game. So the first game ends at one o'clock in the morning. And they told us the next game started at uh, 120. Yep. So I went up to my father and I said, uh, Pop, the second game starts in 20 minutes. He said, it might start in 20 minutes for you, but give me your keys. I'm going to sleep in the truck. <laughs> so I came out at about 630 in the morning, get in the truck. And he, I, the back of my truck was like a queen-size bed with a camper on it. So he's passed out back there. I get in, start the truck. He wakes up and says, what happened to the second game? I said, oh, nothing. I said, I threw two innings, the ninth and tenth. I got the win. Said I had a game-winning double in the gap, an extra innings to win it. And he was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did. And, oh, he was pissed. The only at bat I got that year, and he was asleep in my truck. <laughs> oh, oh well, I, I got to ask you. Uh, two nights later, then we had the twenty inning game, and um, that was my fault. I, I know, and and, and Mitch, I, I I remember the story. Uh, I think we were winning uh, or uh, winning five three going into the ninth. Uh, you came in, the Padres tied to score five five, and then you the know Dodgers. The Dodgers. Oh, oh Dodgers! I'm sorry, and, and then you go into the the 
video dance room. And I, for some reason, I don't think you're you're scouting pitchers uh, at, at that point or hitters at that point. No, post game is a whole different <laughs> exactly. deal. Exactly. Well, it wasn't quite post game yet, so you know, Cruck apparently is out there at first base, just you know, yelling. You know, uh, you know, this game should be over. And, uh, you know, they were you all... want to know what he actually said? <laughs> Go ahead. It's his family uh, <laughs> entertainment here. It's a family show. He came in after the 18th inning, sat down on the end of the bench, took his hat off, and I think Vuk and Bo and all of them were standing there, and they know Crook and I go back to when I was 17. We were with the Padres together. He looks at them and says, I hope he's drunk and dies in a car wreck on the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Well, were you coming down the tunnel, like, from video's room and kind of encouraging the guys, like, let's go, guys, let's, uh, we can do it? And and Crock was like, no, yeah. No, no, I, <laughs> I was the cause of this agony. So when Lenny hit that double, I will be honest, I went flying on the field in my underwear to Oh, yeah. Part of that <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you said it or not, uh, uh, Mitch, but there's one quote I love. I have it written down here. He said, 20, you know, he, you were trying to lighten the mood a little bit because Crock was ready to kill you. And you, the quote I have here is, 20 innings, if I had known it was going to go that long, I would have tried harder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I knew that, that that was just a joke because I tried – it might not have looked like it because I threw I threw as hard as I could throw every single day of my career. It just didn't go as fast on some days. Well, there were so many of those, uh, you know, exciting games, extra inning games, and it always seemed like we had a day game after one of those night, ga- you know, extra inning games. I mean, it was a grind. I know when the '93, you know, when you guys got to September, uh, you know, you you guys were were grinding it out at that point, huh? Well, yeah, we were grinding it out, and Fergosi being Fergosi, we had a Saturday night game in Pittsburgh and a Sunday day game. Well, Davey and I, or I forget, one of us, me and one of my teammates were out, and we stayed out probably a little too late, and I came to the ballpark the next morning. I did not feel good. I did not smell good. So I actually went in a closet where they stored all the soda cans, and I stack up towels, and I go to sleep. So I go down to the bullpen in the sixth inning, and we're losing. Or, or no, we're winning. Well, I had never pitched before the ninth. So the phone rings after the seventh, and Fergosi says, tell Mitch he's got the eighth and ninth. It's about 175 degrees in that bullpen. And I went out on the field. I threw two innings, struck out five, and popped the other guy out and had no idea how I did it. <laughs> well, you guys worked uh, good late at night, and, uh, you know, you guys had good, you know, bounceability. You bounced back well. Well, <laughs> yeah, we did. I mean, it was a bunch of guys that absolutely loved being at the ballpark. Yeah, I was on teams where if you had to be there at 4.30, guys would come in the clubhouse at 4.15. Yep. That team in 93, the majority of the team was at the ballpark by 1.30. Hey, and someone, uh, I think it was Tommy Green, told me that you, I don't know if you paid the, the batting practice pitcher, but you were well ahead of the 
I, I guess you would take batting practice just yourself before the pitchers even did it throughout the year. So, I mean, that even though you're one for one, you know, but Tommy said you were, you were a student of the game as far as a hitter. Well, I'll be honest with you. It was all about pride for me. And I saw so many pitchers go up to the plate. If you know, especially if you're a starter, if you know you're going to have to get two or three at-bats during a game, learn how to handle the bat. And I never went to any of the meetings where they went over the bunt sign for pitchers because I made it abundantly clear that if I get a chance to hit, I ain't bunting. I'm coming out of my shoes. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Uh, Hey, uh, I worked at it. Yeah. Hey, Mitch, the one thing I was – Looking up, and I didn't know this, and Tom, Tom, maybe you did know this, but you know, going to that that fateful night uh, with with Joe Carter, I didn't know that when Ricky Henderson came on, uh, I guess you allowed a walk to Ricky Henderson, but you had never used a slide step before, and and Johnny Potter has told you to to work a slide step. Did you know that, Tom? Yep, yep. So t- tell us about that when yeah. when when he came up to you and or when he met with you, obviously at the mound, and said, "Let's work the slide step to keep Ricky Henderson from stealing." No, it wasn't something that was set on the mound. It was something that they thought would help me hold them closer because I didn't hold runners well. I had a good pickoff move to first and second base, but I did not, I refused to shorten my delivery. Well, I, nice time to experiment, but that's what I did in the World Series. And that's how that fastball that was supposed to be up and away to Carter got jerked down and in. It, it was just a really dumb time for me to change what I had done my whole life, and that's my fault. Well, you know, I think uh, everybody, and it's why you're still uh, loved here, Mitch, in that, um, you know, you were uh, such a stand-up guy after afterwards. I know you were like the last guy in the locker room getting grilled by the press. And, and you, you know, didn't blame anybody. No, no I blame. Mean, you handled it perfectly. Yeah. I mean, you look, you look at the Bill Buckner situation. Bill yep. Buckner is still vilified in, in Boston, right? Yeah. But, Mitch, you turned it around just by well, being yourself. Actually, I think it took him 25 years before he went back. Yeah, right. And, and I hate that for Buck because Buck was a good ball player. Yep. And I just treated every game the same. And I was raised by a father that believed if you don't uh, take ownership of your losses, you can't take ownership of your wins. And that's just how I was raised. Right. Um, also, Mitch, uh, <laughs> I was also told that I guess at Shea Stadium – um, I guess part of the bullpen was exposed. You're exposed to the fans, and then you also had part of it where you could go inside, right? And somebody, I, I forget yeah. who was telling me, Mickey might have been telling me, that I guess you had a little run-in with, with some of the fans. You, you had a line telling them what, whether you're going to see them the next morning. Do you remember that? I had a line where I'm going to. Well, you were. Oh, no. Are you talking about the Denny's? No, it's uh, <laughs> trash, <laughs> picking up your trash. Oh, I don't remember saying that. I did say to a guy in Atlanta one night, because in Atlanta, back in Fulton County Stadium, the bullpen mouths were literally three feet from the stand. Right. So I was warming up to go in a game, and this guy is relentless, standing there just screaming at me, burying me. And finally, I just looked at him and said, look, I don't come into Denny's and stand there and yell at you while you're cooking my eggs, don't come here and yell at me <laughs> yeah. in my job. 
That's a good line. That's a good line. I got to ask you uh, about another guy who uh, we all love, and I know you love them too, uh, Harry Callis. And uh, I remember hearing the story, I think, you know, uh, you had bought ostrich leather boots for, for Harry and LA and a couple guys. Did, did Harry actually wear ostrich leather boots? I can't even picture it. I can picture him in his white. His yeah. white bucks, whatever, his white loafers. Yeah. You know, I think uh, Harry did actually wear them. I don't know if he really liked them, but <laughs> yeah, I got them for the for all the coaches. And uh, I, I look back on that. The other thing with Harry, I, I think it was '93. We had we were playing a Sunday day game in LA, and then we had a day off, and then we played Tuesday in San Francisco. So I went. I bought six plane tickets to Reno. I, me, Danny Jackson, David West, Harry Callis, Mariano Duncan. We all flew to Reno. And I don't know if I've ever laughed this hard in my entire life. <laughs> I, I was. We we're all at one blackjack table, and Harry's broadcasting. Well, I got. I think I had twenty five hundred out in the square. And Harry's doing the broadcast of the blackjack game now. <laughs> play by play. And, and it, I, I've got 13. The dealer's got a face card up, and I got $2,500 out there. I said, hit me. She hits me with an eight, and Harry goes, oh. Mitchie Poo! Mitchie Poo! Uh, I would love to have Harry behind me at uh, playing blackjack doing play by play. How how great well, would that be? Oh my, he wasn't behind me. He was sitting at the table. We <laughs> Danny Jackson swore there was a conspiracy in the casino that because he couldn't win nothing. He said this place is stealing from me. I said, uh, Dan, that's how they make their living. <laughs> but and, and David West had one of the greatest lines I've ever heard in my life. The cocktail waitress came by, and David goes, Hey, can you bring me another one of those screwdriver things? And the, the waitress said, uh, Yeah. He said, Good. He said, I'm struggling with scurvy. <laughs> <laughs> and screwdrivers help that out? Yeah. I guess, you know, you get some citrus some in orange there. Juice and the vitamin yeah. Orange juice. Orange juice. Of see? course. Right. Uh, and, <laughs> did Harry give you that name, Mitchie Poo? Who, who, I guess he came up with that, yeah. right? Yeah, it was. It was. Well, let me put it this way: it was either him or Dutch. Right. Yeah, I think he. And yeah. Those, those two guys, they can call me whatever they want. <laughs> and, and of all the different teams you played for, and the different announcers you met, you know, met and and worked with, I mean, Harry's got to be completely unique, right? I mean, he. He, he's a very unique person, but he was like... Well, I, I, Mitch played in Chicago, too, so he had Harry oh, Carey right, Harry out there. Carey, who, who right. I guess, did he hang out with the players as much as Harry did in 93? Harry Carey? Oh, no. Yeah, no, yeah. but the one thing I'll say about Harry Carey, uh, back when I played there, uh, I was married to my first wife, and her mother and her sister were extremely... They loved Harry Carey. Well, the, what made him so popular in Chicago was his accessibility. I went and told him that day, I said, look, my mother-in-law is coming into town from Texas with her two southern sisters, and my God, Harry, they can't wait to meet you. 
Well, as soon as he heard mother-in-law, that told him they were age-appropriate. And I sent him to his restaurant that night, and I'll be damned if Harry doesn't show up with a bottle of wine, hmm. meet all my mother-in-law sisters. It was That's the kind of guy he was. Wow, that's that's very Harry the Harry the K like, but uh, that's awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, John, I see you got your uh, your your paper out. Does that mean uh, Mitch is getting ready for his quiz? I think he's ready for his quiz. Uh, and again, thanks I'm, for. I am not noted for doing well on quizzes. I think it, well, this is about you, Mitch. So you should be all right. So there's eight <laughs> questions. It's multiple choice, and all you have to do is uh, is get six out of eight. Now our last guest, Mike Tolan, actually. Uh, no, it was Jason Stark who went eight for eight. Right? Yeah, Jason went so eight for eight. So I'm not going to put that pressure on you, Mitch. Uh, but Tom, if he, goes, right, if, if he goes six for eight, what does he win? Well, let's see. He yeah, already that, has a copy of More Than Beards, Bellies, and Biceps. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, No, I do not have a copy of ooh, that. Oh, there you have it. Mitch, I'm going to send you a copy. Really, Mitch? I, I, sure, I gave it to you, but it's in a box somewhere, I'm no. sure. But Mitch, right. I'll get the author to autograph it, too, for you. Absolutely. You know what? Hey, hey, Mitch, I'll tell you. And, and again, this little plug, it, the book's been out of, you know, 17 years. It's, that's how old this book is now. But I'll never forget, Voop came to my dressing room, knocked on the door and uh, before a game. And he said, I just wanted to tell you, I finished the book. And he goes, that was a great book. So, yeah. uh, and, and oh, I don't... Maybe I, I, I'm yeah. I must have read it, but I don't have a very good memory. <laughs> Maybe that's it. And I don't take all the credit. Bob Gordon uh, is a great writer. I loved how he weaved uh, you know, a lot of the stories in. And um, Is that ah. the first time Vuk has smiled at a mascot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mitch, we told a story last week where he wanted to shove a, a broom up, up the, the, the bird's the butt. Bird, the Oriole bird. <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> Mitch, uh, the bird was on the Philly, on the visiting dugout in Camden Yards with a broom because they, they were After getting they ready swept, to... swept us. Yeah, okay. and, and uh, yeah, Vuk wasn't... Can you imagine Vuk wasn't too happy about that? <laughs> no, Vuk was all smiles if we won. <laughs> all right, hit him, John. Six, six out of eight, Mitch. It's all you got to do, right? First question is... Now you you were born in California. Did, now you went to I know you went to high school in Oregon, but did you did you we didn't cover this. Did you grow up in California and then moved to uh, Oregon, or did you were born in California and then moved quickly to Oregon? Born in California, moved to Oregon in 1969 when I was four. Gotcha. I oh. believe. All right. Well, you went to West Lynn High School, so in Oregon. Yeah. And I'm going to give you multiple choice. Three of these went to West Lynn High School, celebrities. Uh, one did not. So you got to tell me which of these celebrities did not go to West Lynn High School. Okay, out of these four. So A is NFL quarterback Cade McNown. B is Match Game 76 contestant Gene Rayburn. C is uh, Major League Baseball player from, I believe, believe, Seattle, Cole Gillespie. And D is a Pulitzer winning uh, photographer, Pulitzer Prize winning photographer named David Hume Kennerly. So was it Cade McNown, Gene Rayburn, Cole Gillespie or David Hume Kennerly? Who did not go there? Who did not go? Three of them went to uh, West Lynn High School. One did not. I'm going to say Gene Rayburn. Gene Bang. Rayburn is correct. Uh, <laughs> and he wasn't a contestant. He was the host of Match Games. Well, but he's part of Match Games. Mitch, every, the first question is always about alumni from the high school. <laughs> and if anyone listens to our podcast, you know it's somebody from Match Game 76. If, if you hear Nipsey Russell. Or Soupy Sales. Uh, Soupy too. Sales. Uh, Charles Nelson Riley. You guys watching really bad TV. <laughs> exactly. <back in> <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. You're good. One for one. All right. Number two. 
Uh, who sings the song Wild Thing? You heard it enough when you when you were playing. Was it A, the, the Trogues? The Trogues, bang. Uh, you didn't even need that. I was going to give you either Starland Vocal Band, Ted Nugent, or Ambrosia. <laughs> Ted, Nugent. <laughs> Ted Nugent. Ambrosia. Now, see, I can see you listen to that, Brian. Yacht, yacht Rock. I know Tom's more the Yacht Rock guy. No. Um, all right, three. You mentioned Major League, the movie. You're two for two. It's good. Uh, you mentioned the movie Major League. Rick Vaughn. His final pitch against Haywood in the playoff game, how many miles per hour Okay, was that final pitch? 101. Damn. Yeah, he's right on there. He doesn't even need multiple choice. Doesn't need it. I mean, he's putting Jason Stark to shame here. All right. And they kind of th- theoretically get easier. Uh, how many saves did you have in 1989 with the Cubs when they won the NLE's title? 36. He doesn't even need multiple choice, Tom. He's four for four right there. You're on fire. Uh on April, I don't know if you know this, Tom, on April 28th, 1989, Mitch became the only player in Major League Baseball history uh, to record a save without throwing a pitch. He came to a game with 3-1 lead and two outs versus the Padres, and he picked off somebody at second base to end the game. Do I need to give Carmelo you the... Martinez. I don't even need to give you the... Look at that. <sighs> Unbelievable. You got three more. All right, which play? This is going to be a hard one right here. Which player was not a teammate of yours on the Atlantic City Surf when you played there in 2001. So I'm going to name three guys that were your teammate and one guy that was not, okay? How okay. Do you, you feeling confident in this one? Well, not so much. All right. <laughs> a is Dave Master Leonardo. B is Kochi Ta- uh, Taniguchi. C is David Hidalgo. And D is Will Pennyfeather. Hidalgo was not on that. And who is David Hidalgo, Tom Burgoyne? Los Lobos. Los Lobos. I knew Tom would get that. You were right. You are six for six. You you hadn't killed all your brain cells by the time you got to the surf, Mitch. You still, you know, still had some. All right. Well, the the Japanese guy that you named off? Koichi Taniguchi. Yeah, I saw that name the first day. I was the pitching coach, and I was working with him in the bullpen. And he told me his name. I said, okay, from, for the rest of the year, your name is Bob. <laughs> Bob Taniguchi. Uh, all right. Yes. Number number seven. In 1993, <laughs> as we mentioned earlier, you batted a perfect. Uh, you went one for one. Which pitcher on that team had the most hits with 16? I, I can give you the multiple choice. Where you on can, our team? On your team. He had 16 hits, led the team, and uh, the pitcher led the Tommy team. Tommy Green. Tommy, Tommy Green doesn't Green. even need multiple choice. Mitch All right. Poo. If you get this last one, then you are uh, clearly well, was, the best. That was eight. No, seven, wasn't it? Oh, I, thought, I thought that was eight. No. No, I think I oh, got, you got one more. I got one more. All right, go ahead. All right. Now, Mitch, we didn't talk about your bowling prowess. Now you, and, and I guess you did eventually have a bowling competition with Joe Carter, I guess, many years after the yeah. 93 season. And you didn't know that he was actually yeah. a really good bowler, right? I had no idea that he had grown up in a house. So, no, I didn't know he was a good bowler. Right. All right. So, which bowler is not in the Professional Bowlers Association Hall of Fame? Ooh, this is a tough eight So, you got to end with this to go eight for eight. So, huh. I'm going to name four guys. Three of them are in the Hall of Fame. One is not. Okay? A. Okay. Can I... Uh, Earl Anthony is in. Er, yeah, Earl Anthony in. is C, so you got to all bowling trivia. He's out. Okay, you want to try another one? Well, there's a lot of guys in the ball. Yeah, go ahead. All right. P- a, no, is, go ahead. a is Pete Weber. B is Walter Ray Williams Jr. You already said Earl Anthony C. And D is David Berkowitz. David Berkowitz is a... A killer from the <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. He's son of Sam. Yeah. 
How about that? Mitch Williams, eight for eight, and about six of those, he didn't even need the multiple choice. That's awesome. That wow. was impressive. Very impressive. Well, there was no math, so uh, we knew he was going to do well. That's right. Well, I Yeah, told- as long as we didn't get into algebra, I was fine. <laughs> uh, Mitch, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks a lot for uh, you know joining us today. We loved it. Debbie Nacito's over here clapping. Yeah, one She's fan. She's crying. Yep. I mean, we, a lot of emotions here. <laughs> Well, tell Deb I said hi and give her a hug for me. We will. All right. Thanks. Thanks again, Mitch. Thanks, Mitch. Anytime, guys. Take it easy. Take care. Ah, that was good. That was good stuff, John. Yeah, having Mitch on. You know. Let's see. Uh, what do we? What, what's our plan? We got a game tonight, right? We have a game tonight. We uh, we are in the last. We're we're doing this on Wednesday. Yeah. So we got the Mets for two more games. We got Degrom facing. We're facing Degrom tonight. Yes. Um, That's a win. That's uh, a win. Okay. And then uh, the Nationals, right? For no Toronto. Oh, Toronto. Sorry for four. Yeah, the doubleheader Friday, and then uh, then we get the Nationals for four, and then you got Tampa Bay for three. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy how the season uh, already our home our home season will be over come Sunday, which is crazy. It's all gone pretty fast. Hopefully, we finish strong, John. Well, we'll we'll, we'll have a good feeling on our next podcast, and we haven't figured out who our guest is. We have some good options, so we'll, yeah. we'll keep that as a surprise right now. Well, that was awesome having Mitch. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we will see you next time.